Oh my gosh. Just going to sit at her feet. Well, it's good to be with you guys today. Um, before I jump in, I just want to say, if you missed Pastor Bart's message last week, you really need to go back and listen to it. It was fantastic on should a Christian vote. The short answer is yes, but he, the way he unpacks it is just incredible, I thought. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. In some ways, I feel like my message today follows that to some extent. Um, so let me see if I can connect my remote real quick. Um, so let me tell a story while I'm getting this connected. So we have a bedtime routine for Adeline, and that typically can, consists of we get Adeline finally in bed after a number of tactics. And at that point, uh, we pray together, and um, I'll kind of ask her, Adeline, who do you want to pray for? And she immediately says, me. She's a believer in prayer. And so, so I say, Lord, thank you so much for Adeline. We just... Thank you for her heart, for her love, for her kindness, and that she shares all the time. And, and Lord, we just thank you for, for her, her heart. And I ask her, who else do you want to pray for? And so she says, I want to pray for my cousins. So I say, Lord, thank you for Leah. Thank you for Ezzy. Thank you for Levi. And then we kind of go down the list um, of all of her aunts, uncles, grandparents. Thank you, God, for them. Thank you for Tani and Papa. The other day, uh, Jordan uh, had scraped her arm, and Adeline saw it, and she said, oh, Mommy, you have a boo-boo. Jordan said, yeah, I know. She said, well, Mommy, can I pray for your boo-boo? Jordan said, oh, yeah, Adeline, that'd be wonderful. God, thank you for Mommy's boo-boo. <laughs> Amen. Adeline gets Thanksgiving, y'all. It, it might be time for like, some petition and supplication, you know? Um, you know, as kids, we, we take in everything we hear, we, we assimilate it into our lives, and it becomes part of who we are so quickly. And as we grow older, as we mature, hopefully, we become a little more discerning in the voices we listen to and the ones we want to allow to shape us, and that's a good thing. But hopefully, we never come to a point where we just are done listening to people, where we just give up on listening to people with whom we particularly might have a disagreement. And so I'm excited to talk on this topic today. Um, you know, this is something that I don't in any way feel like I have expertise on. I want to say that up front. Um, but it is an area of personal growth that matters to me. I want to become a better listener. Um, and I think it's an important topic for our time right now. So with that said, let me jump in. Um, okay, so the first, I have three kind of main uh, sections of this message. So the first is listening to voices in our culture. The second is listening to the person in front of you. And the third is the practice of empathetic listening. So let's talk about this right now, listening to voices in our, in our culture, in our charged culture. You can put up this phrase to think about. What we are listening for is as important as what we're listening to. And I think all of us understand what you and I are listening to right now really matters. And that, I'm sure, is not uh, debatable. But I think what we maybe underestimate sometimes is the extent to which you and I are listening for things. Our own biases are at play, sometimes and many times under the surface, right? I'll put it this way. I've found that time and time again, people who agree with me have really good things to say. I mean, it's uncanny how often this correlation happens in my life, right? And, and that's, that's the point. Like, 
we, we find ourselves impressed by commentators who share our political views. We tend to think of people who agree with us as being thoughtful, intelligent people, and people who disagree with us as being dumb and deceived people. And this is true for everyone, and it's pretty normal. This is going to be true of, of liberals, independents, and conservatives. This is going to be true of you know, moderates, Republicans, Democrats. It's going to be true of uh, you know, blacks, whites, Hispanics, Arabs, Asians, men, women, the rich and the poor. We all are going to have this kind of affinity towards people who agree with us. And it's important that we are able to acknowledge that. The Apostle Paul, in this sort of pastoral moment with Timothy, encourages Timothy to consider why it is that people are so often bad listeners to God's truth. He says this, kind of letting Timothy know, there will be times in ministry like this for you. He says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul's saying that people have a tendency to accumulate for themselves the voices that they want to hear that confirm what they already essentially believe to be true. And it really underscores, I think, this idea that our listening habits often, not always, but often, tell us more about our desires than our search for truth. And I think sometimes we flatter ourselves that all we care about is the truth. All I care about is the truth. Um, And yet... At the end of the day, we are often ignoring the extent to which our desires, our biases, what we want to be true, is often driving many, maybe most, of our listening habits. We have a a modern term for this idea that Paul's describing in 2 Timothy, and it's this. It's called confirmation bias. You've probably heard this before, which basically says that you and I will place greater weight on facts that support what we believe than we do on facts that challenge what we believe. Right? So if I'm presented two sets of facts, one set of facts supports and protects my beliefs, and the other set of facts challenges and potentially threatens my beliefs, I may think that I place equal weight on both sets of facts, but I don't. I, I, really, I privilege the ones that protect my beliefs, right? Because um, it's threatening to think that I could be wrong. We all have a bias towards facts and ideas that confirm what we want to believe. We have, in Paul's words, itching ears for this kind of teaching. And we'll accumulate commentators and voices in our lives that suit these desires that we have. The only difference between Paul's day and our day is with the information age and YouTube and social media and reposting, it's so much easier to accumulate for yourselves whatever voices you want to listen to than in Paul's uh, time in the first century AD, right? Um, And I think it's in this environment that so many of us are struggling just to hear God, just to hear God's voice, and not just to hear, but to privilege God's voice. I think of God's words to Ezekiel, son of man, all my words that I will speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears, that that God's voice would have a place of honored status in our, in our hearts, that we actually privilege it above the noise that's so prevalent right now. Thomas Jefferson once argued um, that he would rather have an essentially perfect media than a government because he said peop- the people need to be informed. So it's, it's been over 200 years 
by a show of hands, how many of you guys think America has achieved a perfect media? <laughs> Come on, we're close, right? I mean, it's, it's terrifying, the state of our media right now, <laughs> right? Um, I don't think we can just go and give up hope of ever achieving a perfect media. Um, and I think that, you know, mass media and the troubling dynamic of social media is doing incredible damage to our abilities to sit down and just have a conversation and truly listen to someone with whom we have a disagreement. And I just want to say, if, you know, if a steady diet of CNN or Fox News, Rush Limbaugh or NPR is hindering your ability to sit down, have a conversation with someone with whom you disagree without reacting, then maybe take a break. Maybe just take a little break from those things for a bit. I know I'll do that from time to time. Something might come out of me, and I'm like, that was not Christ-like. And I just kind of say to myself, I'm going to take a break for a little bit from the media I'm consuming. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference in my life, for sure. Um, Because I think right now, we're in a place where Americans have become basically obsessed with expressing their own opinions and the opinion of the group they identify with, right? Whatever that may be, politically or culturally. Um, It's really all we care about is articulating our own opinions. And the Bible has things to say about that kind of person. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. I mean, if Proverbs 18.2 isn't a verse for this cultural moment, I don't know what is, right? I mean, this seems to be our mode of operation. We're just obsessed with expressing our own opinions and the opinions of the group that we identify with. But the best way to understand someone is simply to listen to them. That's an age-old truth, by the way. That's not a 21st century discovery. It's always been true. The best way to understand someone is to listen to them, find out where they're coming from. And when I think about the the communication breakdown happening between so many millennials and boomers, it seems to me, at the end of the day, to be a breakdown in listening. A better way would be to say, Mom, why is it that you believe that? I want to know. Son, why is it that you've arrived at that position? Help me understand. Those kind of questions and moments open up communication, open up listening when it otherwise breaks down. Dane Ortland says this, Listening is to hear what another says and resist the instinctive urge to map it onto your own experiences and interpret it accordingly. Right? You're in a moment with someone in a conversation. They're saying something, and you're like, oh, yeah, something like that happened to me like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it may be. Here's the implications I drew from that season of life. Here's the conclusions I found. Here's the way I felt and shouldn't have felt at that time in my life. And, and then you kind of map it onto your own life and then essentially say, this is how you should feel and conclude, right? Um, and it's important to resist that urge. Maybe you, are, you went through the exact same scenario, Or maybe not. Maybe there's differences and nuances about the way they're experiencing it, feeling about it, interpreting it. It's important to listen first before we just map it onto our own own lives. Which brings me to really the meat of my sermon today, which is this. Listening to the person in front of me. That we would become better 
at this. The Apostle James, speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ, said this, And know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There seems to be this pretty clear correlation between quick to speak and quick to anger. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Um, and if it's any wonder then why we, I mean, is it any wonder then why we're living in such an outrage culture where everyone's quick to speak, everyone's quick to express their opinion, everyone's quick to repost, everyone's quick to whatever. I mean, the outrage culture we're experiencing is the inevitable result of rejecting James 1.19. But the church is to be something better, right? The church is to be something different than the world has on offer. And sadly, we're not always that, but we are called to be a place that doesn't feed into that, right? Because when that is the environment that the people of God engender and foster, there is a spirit of love. Because so often, you've heard it said, loving is listening. When people feel listened to, oftentimes they feel loved, right? Now, listening is not always loving. So don't leave here thinking, well, if listening is loving, then I guess I need to Listen to as much gossip as possible. You know, just consume gossip or something like that. That's what the preacher said. <laughs> Listening's not always loving, right? And there, there's times when the loving thing to do is to stop listening, to excuse yourself from the conversation, um, to not take part in that kind of unloving listening. But I think you know what I mean when I say that many times listening is loving. People feel that when we give it to them. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, again, in the context of the body of Christ. The first service one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. I love this. Just as love of God begins in listening to his word, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. It is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word, but lends us his ear. So it is his work that we do for our brother when we learn to listen to him, which is part of the reason why I'm so excited about our, our panel today, because our, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are honoring us with their presence. Thank you for being here. We're going to come and share about their experiences growing up in Alabama as people of color, and I'm just so excited about this opportunity. I hope that as many of you as possible will come back. I feel, kind of have like two goals for this message. One's that we might be inspired to be a little bit better listeners, and secondly, that as many as possible would come back at 12.15 for this, this panel. It's going to be awesome. Um, so I want to talk about some pitfalls, some ways that we can get off track as listeners. Um, and the first is this. I kind of hesitated putting distraction up there because it seems like such a no-brainer, but I have to include it. Um, you know, distraction is one of the chief things that just breaks down our ability to listen. And, you know, for me, there's things I'll do that, I, that helps me be less distracted when I'm in conversation. So if I'm going to lunch with someone, I'll try to make sure I pick a seat where there's not a, a TV screen within my view, because I'll just get locked into that. Um, I try to get my phone away as much as possible, except when I preach, apparently. Um, and I'll, you know, if, some, if a thought comes into my mind uh, and it's distraction, then I'll, I'll try to identify it. I'll mentally be like, okay, I'm distracted about this, and mentally set it aside so I can re-engage with someone. Um, so that's the first thing. But the second one, maybe a little bit uh, less intuitive, 
is a pitfall in listening is evaluative or judgmental listening. So this is basically the idea that you're in a conversation with someone and you immediately turn on this like filter and you're, you're judging everything they're saying and evaluating everything you're saying on whether it's right or wrong, good or evil. Now, let me pause right here and say there actually is an important place for this. This is actually, there is an important place for this. And so a good example of that biblically would be Hebrews 5.14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment. That phrase is striking to me, their powers of discernment. Trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So, you know, that phrase, powers of discernment, it makes me think this is something that God gives to people. He gives them power to discern. But apparently it's not something that you're automatically good at. You need to train yourself in it. You need to practice it, right? It's something you practice and are trained in. Um, And so there's absolutely, it's absolutely important that we become discerning people, that we are evaluating the rightness and wrongness of ideas in the world, that we are considering and making judgments on uh, good and evil, that's an important thing. So let me, let me make that clear. But it's important that for us to really be able to make a, a, an honest evaluation, for us to be able to make an honest judgment, for us to give an answer on an idea or something we're hearing, we need to hear first, right? Because if we don't, then we're fools. If anyone gives an answer before he hears... It is his folly and shame. So it's important to keep this in mind. If you're in a conversation with someone, if you're in a conversation with me, let's just make me the bad guy. If you're in a conversation with me and all my body language, all my facial expressions, all my tone, uh, all my questions and responses are communicating to you, I'm filtering everything you're saying through my own moral compass and where you're evil and where you're good and where you're truth and truth and where you're in error. That's going to only create defensiveness in you. It's, it's going to only shut down communication, right? So I'm not saying we never need to evaluate and discern. We do. But let's keep in mind that how we engage with people has an opportunity to close people off and, or open people up and to not make an evaluation until we've truly heard them first, right? Rather than just say, yeah, I've dealt with you kind of people before. I know what you're like. You're in this box. I've already made my... Uh, my evaluation on you. Um, the third pitfall in listening is rehearsing instead of listening. You guys probably know where I'm going with this, right? So Christian uh, psychologists Timothy Clinton and George Oshlager say this, a prevalent failure is rehearsing what we're going to say next rather than listening, right? So you're sitting in a conversation. You can always tell. Here's Here's the, uh, the body language that says someone's doing this. When you're talking and I'm going, it's like the nodding and eyes in the back of the head. That's when you know they're rehearsing what they're going to say next. So little freebie, don't do that. <laughs> don't nod and put your eyes in the back of your head. Um, that nod is like, I'm still with you, but I'm not, right? So, um, so it, it's important that we're not rehearsing what we're going to say next, especially in a conversation with people that we might have a disagreement with that you really give them time to finish what they're trying to say. It says, we must train ourselves to listen to the end, to pause and think, and only then to respond. And then, lastly, interrupting. So again, 
interrupting or finishing sentences for someone. Anybody? That's me. So, like, I I like to think I don't typically cut people off mid-sentence. Maybe I do. Don't tell me if I do. Um, Actually, tell me if I do. Uh, But one of my weaknesses is I finish people's sentences for them, and I hate that. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, You know, I'm in a conversation with someone, and and I can tell they stop for a second, and they're searching for the right word, um, and I just, like, fill in the blank for them, right? Um, It's so much better to not do that. I'll finish this quote. Interrupting or finishing sentences for someone is doubly harmful because not only are you disrespecting them, you're also missing an opportunity to learn important information about them. It's much better to give them space. Let them find the word they're looking for. Let them locate the idea they're trying to communicate. Because in doing that, you're, for one, valuing them, And you're also not robbing yourself an opportunity to learn important things about them. Because by them finding the word they were looking for, or the idea they're trying to articulate, then that's a moment of discovery for you to understand them better. And it might even be a moment of self-discovery for them. And they begin to see something about themselves that they wouldn't have found otherwise with, with you just supplying the answers for them. And I think the point in thinking about these listening pitfalls is listening's hard right? Listening's not easy. Dane Ortland says, by listening, I don't simply mean not talking. We can avoid talking for any number of reasons, even anger or withdrawal. By listening, I mean something proactive, not passive. Hear this. Real listening is as mentally engaging as talking. Well, let that sink in for a second. Real listening is as mentally engaging as talking, maybe more Certainly not less engaging than talking. I think for me, real listening is more mentally, if I'm really listening, it's more mentally engaging than when I'm talking. Um, But it's certainly not less. Which this dispels the myth that quiet people are good listeners, right? It's absolutely not true. um, Because listening is an active thing. So on that note, I'm going to give you guys a little comic relief. There's this active listening sketch from a show called The Big Bang Theory. And uh, let me play it for you guys real quick. First there was PlayStation, a.k.a. PS1. Then there's PS2, PS3, and now PS4. And that makes sense. You'd think after Xbox, there'd be Xbox 2. But no. Next came Xbox 360. Hmm? And now, after 360, comes Xbox One. Why one? Maybe that's how many seconds of thought they put into naming it. Can you get the butter, please? Yeah. However, with the Xbox One, I can control my entire entertainment system using voice commands. Up until now, I've had to use Leonard. <laughs> then get the other one. Pass the butter. Get, hang on. I don't feel like you're taking this dilemma seriously. Fine, Sheldon. You have my undivided attention. Okay, now, the PS4 is more angular and sleek looking. No way! It's true, but the larger size of the Xbox One may keep it from overheating. Well, you wouldn't want your gaming system to overheat. No, well, you absolutely would not. And furthermore, the Xbox One now comes with a Kinect included. Included? Yes. Not sold separately. Although the PS4 uses cool new GDDR5 RAM, while the Xbox One is still using the conventional DDR3 memory. Why would they still be using DDR3? Are they nuts? 
See, that's what I thought. But then they go and throw in an ES RAM buffer. Oh, what is it? Who's they? The Xbox. You're kidding! No, I am not. And this ES RAM buffer should totally bridge the 100 gigabit per second bandwidth gap between the two RAM types. This is a nightmare. How will you ever make a decision? See, I don't know. What should I do? Please pass the butter! <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that was just to give you guys some comic relief. Um, so I, I'm, I'm at a third point of my sermon. I hope I'm not going too long. Um, it feels like I'm going long. This is a sermon on listening. So um, you're welcome. You guys are doing great. Um, okay. So this, this third section is the practice of empathetic listening. And I wanted to kind of camp out here towards the end. Um, so let's get a definition of empathy up here. Empathy is the ability to get inside a person's world and develop a sense of what that world looks like from their point of view. So not what that world looks like from your point of view, but from their vantage point, what does their world look like? That's empathy. A beautiful scripture verse on empathy is Hebrews 13.3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. So again, empathy is to understand what a person, um, the way things look, what it would be like to, to walk in their shoes, as, as we say, what, it, what the world looks like from their perspective, why they might be feeling what they're feeling. Um, so again, in this verse, like they're not in prison with them, but Paul's saying, consider what it might be like to be in their shoes right now, what they might be feeling what they might be seeing and thinking. Um, that's, that's empathy. You know, when I think of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, for example, stories like that in the Gospels, I find in Jesus a deeply empathetic person who is able to make people feel understood and loved at the same time. The people didn't feel misunderstood by Jesus. Um, and I think of characters like Peter in the Gospels, who I think you see that kind of dynamic happening with him, with, with Jesus. Um, A beautiful verse on empathetic listening, I think, is Proverbs 20, verse 5. It says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So this is the kind of listening where there's things way beneath the surface in people that aren't going to come out unless we're listening and listening well and asking the right questions and drawing it out and helping get a sense of together what it might be like. And when that deep water is drawn out through this kind of listening conversation, not only do you then understand that person better, aka empathize, oftentimes they experience, again, like I said earlier, these moments of self-discovery. They understand themselves better. Now, I, I know that there are some people that have a bad taste in their mouth when they hear the word empathy. Um, that, that maybe empathy is a word that helps people play fast and loose with the truth. Um, or maybe empathetic people are the kind of people that excuse sinful behavior. But I think that once we um, understand what empathy is and what empathy isn't, those objections just go away. So let me take a second to do that. Empathy is not compassion, right? So compa- again, empathy is simply understanding what it might be like have a sense of what it might be like to be that person, to walk in their shoes, see things the way they see them, why they might feel the way they feel, right? Compassion is telling someone that I'm, someone, 
Someone who cares is here with you, and I want to help. That's compassion. I'm with you, I care, and I'd like to help, right? Now, you can understand where someone's coming from and not be moved to compassion, and vice versa. You can have compassion on someone, but really have no grid for what they're going through, right? They're not the same thing. Compassion and empathy are not the same thing. Um, Another important distinction is empathy is not sympathy. So sympathy is feeling with someone or feeling the same as someone. A beautiful verse, by the way, on sympathy is Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's sympathy. You've come into a shared emotion with them. They're rejoicing, come into joy with them. They're mourning, come into mourning with them. Come into a sympathetic uh, experience with them. That's sympathy. But again, you can empathize with someone but not sympathize, not feel the same way. Which is why, interestingly, you can have empathy for your enemy, but you really can't have sympathy for your enemy because you don't feel the same as your enemy does. If you did, then they'd be your ally, right? Um, So, and then the third one is this, and maybe importantly, empathy is not agreement, right? So, again, empathy is just simply understanding where someone's coming from, why they see the world the way they do, why they might feel the way they feel. You can do that and not necessarily approve of their beliefs and behavior, right? You don't necessarily have to agree. So again, empathy is not agreement. You might agree or you might not agree, but it's not necessarily important in that sense. You can totally disagree with people's beliefs and behavior, but still empathize. Um, I was reading Job recently, and um, it, it occurred to me after reading through the majority of Job, um, how, you know, there's this section in Job 3 through 31, maybe more specifically 3 through 29, um, where there's this back and forth exchange between Job and his three friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. And they've come to comfort him. And what's interesting about them is I think initially they have compassion. They do have compassion. Um, But... Job 3 through 29, these 27-something chapters, it, it occurred to me this is the longest um, sustained failure to listen in the Bible. That's essentially what it is. I mean, you can make, some person might make an argument, the entire Old Testament's a failure of Israel to listen, and that might be true. Um, but within a book, I mean, these 27 chapters, it's just this 27 chapters of a breakdown in listening that at no point do they really make an attempt to listen to Job. And it's really interesting because if you know the, the basic idea of the story of Job, um, you know, Job's had this calamity fall on him. Everything's been destroyed and lost. And his three friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, they have a, they have a conviction about the way the world works. And it's a spiritual conviction. Um, it's, in fact, Eliphaz even has said, I had a divine encounter with a supernatural being one night that confirms what I believe to be true. So he has like supernatural experiences confirming their belief. The other ones are quoting essentially Bible verses confirming their belief. So it's an interesting dynamic. But their belief is essentially this. Their worldview is that bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people, and God sees to this arrangement. That's their worldview. Bad things happen to bad people, 
good things happen to good people. And so they have no grid to interpret um, Job's circumstances in any other way than Job simply must be an egregious sinner. So what we need to do, Job, is we need to find out, we need to root out what it is you've done to make God so mad and to crush you this way. So let's find out, Job, what is it? Let's find out what it is. And the good news, Job, is God's so merciful, he will forgive you. So all we have to do is find out what it is. You can repent of your sin, and then God will have mercy, and he'll restore you, Job. Now, the interesting thing about Job is Job is, he maintains his innocence. He maintains that he's done nothing to merit what's happened, which is, in fact, true. But what's so remarkable about this story is the three friends are so locked into their spiritual conviction and their worldview that it renders them incapable of being able to empathize. That's what we see on display for 27 chapters. They never come to a point where they really try to listen to Job. It's just this debate back and forth. They never come to a point where they try to say, okay, let's time out. Let's try to see where Job is coming from. Let's try to think of what it might be like to see the world through Job's eyes or to consider what Job might be feeling and why he might be feeling it. Whether or not we agree or disagree, let's try to do that. They never make that attempt. And, I, and I, to me, that seems to be the glaring weakness. If they had made an attempt to try to understand why Job might be feeling what he's feeling, why Job might be feeling what he's feeling, and, and set aside their own convictions just for a second to try to empathize, it would have been a different book. But over and over again, they refuse to do that and just drill down on Job. You've got to adopt our worldview. And you know, the truth is this. Even if your agenda or my agenda is to get someone to change their mind and adopt my position on whatever it may be, culture, politics, society, the chances of them changing their mind and adopting your view, it's going to be very unlikely if they feel unheard by us, Right? And so over and over again, we begin hearing Job say this phrase that's so telling to me. I am not inferior to you. There's something about a breakdown and a refusal to listen, to really try to care where someone's coming from, that communicates an inferiority to you. It devalues people. To the point where, at the end of the day, it's, you wonder if their friendship is going to be salvageable because of how wounded and broken Job feels by his, his friends who have become these miserable comforters, as it were. Aren't you guys glad we have something different in Jesus? But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear, hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he's brought out all his sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I was thinking about John 10 this week, and kind of asking myself, why is it that we want to follow Jesus? Why is it that we want to, you and I want to listen to Jesus? We may not always be the best followers. 
may not always be the best listeners, but if you're a sheep, if you're one of Christ, you're in Christ's flock, then you want to follow him. You want to listen to him, don't we? Amen? I think it's because Jesus, we're confident that Jesus loves us. The sheep is the sacrificial animal, and yet the shepherd takes the place of the sheep. He lays down a life, his life for his sheep. But not only are we confident in his unconditional sacrificial love for us, we're known. I mean, he knows us by name. I mean, when you're loved that extravagantly and known that intimately, you want to listen to that person, don't you? I think that's why we want to listen to Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want to ask Jesus, make us better listeners, better followers, but it calls to us. And that's, that's I think, is, is my hope and my prayer for us as a people, that we would lean into this way of Christ together. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the way you love us. We thank you for the way you know us and you draw our ear. We care about what you have to say in your voice in our lives, Lord. Lord, I ask that your voice would be the loudest and the clearest and the most honored voice in our hearts. And God, I ask that you would give us grace to become better listeners to people in our lives. People that we agree with, but maybe especially people with whom we disagree. Would you give us grace, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Gabriel. That was, that was awesome. All I could think of was the million illustrations I could use on what a terrible listener I've been in my life, uh, which you may have as well. <laughs> or maybe you've been in a counseling session with me and you thought, oh, he's a terrible listener. So uh, I apologize. Um, forgive me. Hey, we're going to take up an offering. And by take up, I mean you're going to bring it to the front. Uh, I, I like bringing it to the front, but during this day and age of distancing and everything that's going on, it's, it's how we uh, receive our offering. There are many different ways you can give at Fullness, as you know. You can give online, you can text to give, or you can uh, bring your offering here, uh, mail it to the church. A lot, we'll take your money almost any way you want to give it to us. So, uh, but we want you to be led by God in how to give. Giving is not a duty or an obligation. It's an act of worship. It's an act of thanksgiving, and we want to give it in that way. Part of our social distancing has been the way we do communion, but also the drive-in services that we've been doing. Uh, our last drive-in service for this year will be this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Scott Shoup is going to share with us at the drive-in. So please come to the drive-in service. A lot of people who... Uh, haven't been able to come to public worship. Uh, a lot of our older congregation and different people who m might have underlying illnesses haven't been able to worship physically with us, but they can't come to the drive-in. It'll be over here in this parking lot if you come. We've got instructions online, so hopefully you'll join us this Wednesday, 6 o'clock, in the parking lot to the side. Also, Kathy wanted me to announce that the Operation Shoebox is still going on. If you would pick up a shoebox with the instructions on how to give, uh, that would be awesome. Finally, uh, many of you are here today, not just because Gabriel's preaching, though I wouldn't blame you if that was your reason for, uh, for being here, but you're also here because you want to participate in the listening 
service, the gracious listening time that we're going to have after church. So many of you signed up that we've had to alter our plans slightly, which is great. We want everybody to come. So we're going to give you a little time to run and get some lunch and then come back. I wanted to tell you to be back at noon. My staff said 12.15 was reasonable. And I said, yes, but if we tell them 12.15, they won't get back till 12.30. But you can prove me wrong, right? Because I was going to tell you noon uh, so that we could start at 12.15. We're starting at 12.15. So your way to get lunch, however, this is a great time. Two things that are a little atypical for fullness. One, we are not feeding you. Uh, you're feeding yourself just because of everything's going on. So if you want to run, get lunch, if you didn't bring it, if you did bring it and you'd like to eat in the fellowship hall, in the parking lot, even in here, that's fine with us. Uh, just find a place to have lunch together and whatever feels comfortable with you as far as distancing is concerned. We do have about 50 places set up downstairs if you'd like to eat down there. Uh, so go get your lunch, bring it back. We'll share it together. Or uh, we'll start at 12.15 for the listening time. Um, there's also, it's unusual for fullness, there is no child care. So uh, if you have children, you either are going to have to take care of them in here. If you don't want to wrestle them, you can watch this online later. We'll post uh, this online after we have an opportunity to, to edit it down to just keep it a little shorter. But anyway, 12.15, here in the sanctuary, come back. All right, let's stand together and bring your offering or your connection card. If you have prayer requests, I think I did not mention that. If you have prayer requests, you can do that online or put it on your connection card. Drop it in the offering and let's sing a song of worship. My ears wanna hear you speak. Tell me your thoughts, what's on your mind. I'll be your friend, wanna see your eyes. Open my eyes, wanna hear you. Open my ears, wanna hear you. Tell me your thoughts, what's on your mind? I'll be your friend, wanna see through your eyes, wanna see through your eyes. Say I'm not, I'm not in a when it comes to your spirit, when it comes to your presence, when it comes to your voice, I'm learning to listen, just to rest in your nearness. I'm starting to notice you are speaking. I'm not in a hurry when it comes to your spirit. When it comes to your presence, when it comes to your voice, I'm learning to listen, just to rest in your nearness. I'm still
starting to notice you are speaking. If you're worshiping with us today, either online or present, and uh, you're not returning for our listening time, it's been great having you. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in the future. If you are returning, we're not in a hurry, but a little bit. Uh, so uh, we'll see you back here at 12.15. Let me speak this blessing over you, and you'll be dismissed. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that work is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. See you back at 1215 or next week.